Hi everyone, I uh, just wanted to do a quick note at the top of this. I uh, apologize for the delay. Um, lots of craziness right now going on in my life and uh, I really appreciate your guys' patience. Um, I'm so excited for you to listen to this. Um, it, it's I apologize that it's also a longer running episode, but I gotta say, this was such a delight to get to talk to Dave and all of the stories and behind the scenes stuff I got to learn was so much fun on top of just talking Avatar with uh, an old Avatar friend. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy this. I'm really excited. Um, And next week, we're going to be back to our normally regular scheduled uh, episodes. We're going to be reviewing episode 7 of Legend of Korra in this first season. And uh, we'll be back to under an hour uh, length episode. So thank you all so much for your patience, for the delay in this, and for the length of this. I really hope you enjoy um appreciate it and we talking to you next week bye And welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I'm Colin, the main host, um, and tonight we have uh, a really exciting episode. Um, We reached out to uh, one of our uh, friends from the show that we interviewed way back when. Uh, It was almost eight years ago, uh, and now uh, just catching up, and that's Dave Roman. So hi, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Colin. It's a pleasure to be back. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dave, um, can you just uh, first uh, just I don't know, just uh, share with our listeners who might not have heard our original podcast, like some of the Avatar work that you've done in the past, and uh, kind of uh, what you've been up to for you know the past several years <laughs> since we last talked. <laughs> uh, I will try my best. <laughs> um, I've done like very little research into my own life and what I uh, remember. Uh, but I was once a uh, an associate editor at Nickelodeon Magazine, which uh, I'm glad that magazines are still sort of in existence um, <laughs> for, a, for a while. Uh, that was, uh, you know, something that was sold in supermarkets and it was a subscription magazine. Many people might remember the commercial. Oh, those are the uh, best commercials. On Nickelodeon. <laughs> I think, I think in some ways that Matt, those commercials will outlive us all. Um, so true. yeah, it was, a uh, you know, so, and for me, that was my first real job. Um, I got hired, uh, while I was still in college and originally I was an assistant and then I sort of graduated up to being an associate editor. Um, and I primarily focused on editing comics based on the TV shows that, um, and I always explain to people that the shows were mostly produced in California and I worked in a New York office, uh, and, you know, sort of over saw print stuff. Uh, so it was like figuring out how to make the best comics that we could based off the TV shows. Um, and that was an especially uh, extra challenge hmm. with Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> uh, 
for lots of reasons. Um, but, you know, as you guys all know, I mean, Avatar was so different from everything that was on, uh, from you know, on Nickelodeon at the time and since. Um, so, you know, we really had to treat everything really differently. Um, and honestly, it was nothing but a labor of love. And I can go into that more. Uh, but I'll just say that, you know, I, you know, I was a little burnt out (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Uh, working on some of the Nickelodeon properties uh, for whatever reasons. And, uh, you know, I'd been there for a couple of years and was kind of getting a little mentally checked out. And Avatar came out like right at the right time and like really sucked me back in um, (laughs) and, you know, made me fall in love with my job all over again. Um, And I have so many fond memories and so much, uh, you know, it was just such a great time uh, working on the Avatar stuff. Um, And so my Avatar connection was that I was editing all of the comics, you know, all the original comics that were initially produced uh, based on Avatar The Last Airbender um, with the goal uh, of you know, fitting into the continuity of the TV show, you know, so we made all of the comics actually try to fit within between episodes or sort of like in, you know, moments within episodes, um, so that fans of the show would feel like this, you know, it all connected. And that was something that I was eager to do. And, uh, luckily, uh, Aaron Ehas, who was the head writer was like really game to help make that happen. And Mike and Brian were behind it. So, uh, I think that was great. And all that stuff eventually got collected into a book from Dark Horse. Yes. Um, which then helped, you know, segue into their series, you know, the ongoing series that they do. Um, and the dark period is that <laughs> I, also, uh, I also wrote the uh, movie adaptation of uh, – the movie known as The Last Airbender. Was that what it was called? Yeah, The Last Airbender. Yep. <laughs> um, um, thanks, James Cameron. Right. Uh, <laughs> we, were, we were actually, there was uh, someone who, uh, Travis McElroy, uh, who uh, does like uh, The Adventure oh, yeah, Zone. Yeah. And like, th- so he, he tweeted the other day that, you know, uh, just talking about how, you know, that why, why they mispronounced all, like, why was it that they mispronounced all of these names and d- did all this? And like, why was Avatar said that way? And I like, retwe- like retweeted that, but then tweeted back, like, you know, there was this whole dispute, like at that time. And I don't know if you remember this, that like James Cameron was like on, like about to release Avatar. And mm-hmm. they were like, well, we, we don't actually want to confuse people so we're just gonna call it the Mm. last airbender and i'm like i'm pretty sure that's probably why they might have changed the pronunciation but who knows that 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 is a whole whole nother story (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm pretty sure i should mention i probably uh i think i signed paperwork saying that i would not disparage nickelodeon in any way (laughs) oh that is totally fair (laughs) and there there are certain secrets that i will probably die with um But um, I know where all the baddies are buried. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah. But your memory is pretty accurate. Uh, yeah, that was a crazy time. And uh, so yeah, so I so I wrote. Well, I co-wrote with Allison Wilgus uh, the the adaptation, which no one read. <laughs> we we definitely then, read that though. And actually, we, uh, we no were... no not the adaptation. <laughs> but then I also did the pre. We did the uh, prequel. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> called Zuko's story, which really that was the main thing that we wanted to do. I mean, mm. we actually thought 
when we signed on, actually, we thought we were just writing the prequel and the, the adaptation kind of got like, it was like a package deal. They were like, well, if you want to write one thing, you have to write both. Um, mm. But we actually, I mean, there was some fun that we had with it anyways. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, we did Zuko's story, which is like a prequel. We wrote it actually as a prequel to the, to the series, uh, sort of subversively. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but of course, then like, you know, uh, M. Night Shyamalan and his people made sure that it, you know, tied more into the film. Uh, and yeah, that was a thing. And then, uh, <laughs> what was, did I have any connection to Avatar after that? I really don't think I had to, I mean, uh, you know, just watched it happen and was, you know, friends with many people who, uh, were a part of it and, uh, just, you know, continued to be a big fan. I mean, obviously through Legend of Korra, mm. which I absolutely love. Yes. Um, <laughs> And, uh, God, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, whatever I'm now, you know, really, I'm just a big fan and that's, you know, it's, I feel fortunate to, uh, have had some small connection at one point, but now it's like, it seems like a past life (laughs) part of what this theme of your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, so much of, uh, you know, when we were like recording the early episodes of this podcast, I was staying up late to, uh, you know, be able to record in like the basement in the house where I was growing up. And there was a there was a time where I was up way past when I was supposed to be. And uh, in the middle of recording, my dad like came down and like yelled over and just like, you need to go to bed. (laughs) And (laughs) I was like, oh, how far we've come. <laughs> oh, man. It's the, it's the cycles. It's the cycles of life. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I, I thank you so much for kind of recapping that through and uh, kind of uh, telling your journey with that. So I want to kind of uh, go back to the beginning. And I want to know, um, how did you first hear about Avatar? Was it, you know, you were there working at the magazine and then Avatar came out, you said... Um, so was it something that you had heard them doing in development or was it something that you just watched when it premiered? Um, I heard about it first through development. Um, usually what would happen is that there was like, there was always like a little bit of a dog and pony show, uh, for us at the magazine. Um, when a show was nearing completion, um, they would start to sort of like send us like advanced materials and Mm. sort of get us, you know, hyped about it, I guess. Um, because they wanted us to cover it in the magazine in some way, shape or form. Uh, and obviously my interest was in, you know, what could be done as a comic. Um, and I, (laughs) my memory is that, so my, you know, I was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. Oh, yes. And I I have a Nickelodeon connection with that too, because I used to watch it in the office. Uh, (laughs) I didn't have, I didn't have cable. Um, and that, this is the days, you know, when people had like small TVs, mm-hmm. um, you know, pre flat screen TVs. Right. So, uh, in one of the conference rooms in my office at, at the, at, at Nickelodeon, they had this big, you know, television, uh, that you could watch and the cable was hooked up cause it was Nickelodeon. And, uh, <laughs> so I, me and my friend used to like stay late and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like in the conference rooms at Nickelodeon. Um, <laughs> That is so which, cool. <laughs> which, 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 flash forward, you know, uh, 
like season three of Avatar The Last Airbender, I have one of my favorite memories is that I invited like a group of maybe like 20 cosplayer, like Avatar cosplayers and fans um, to sneak into Nickelodeon (laughs) 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 at like 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And and we watched like unaired episodes from season three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so do you, do you remember like what were what were the the episodes that you guys uh, got to see? Do you know remember I specifically? Remember. I'm sure uh, Al, I think Alison Wilgus was part of this. I feel like she would remember what episodes were. But it was definitely in one of the hiatuses, right? It was okay, like in yeah. one of those periods where like, people were like really hungry, oh, you know, gosh. for a new episode <laughs> spreading it. You know, they were spreading them out and all that nonsense and so so we had access to a couple of episodes. One of which might have been in like story, you know, because we would watch the episodes actually as storyboards with like the audio tracks. Oh, cool. Um, so they wouldn't even be like the complete episodes. But in some ways, like those were even like more fun because they would mm. like have like rough stuff and a few funny things that the animators would include that would, <laughs> you know, not make it into. Oh, like I remember like there was like one episode in like season three where like there's like a s- scene where like they played like a Beastie Boys song or something. <laughs> in the of the stuff like and oh my god like all these funny memories like Giancarlo Volpe who's one of the directors used to put in like all these like references to like the world cup and stuff and like <laughs> Italy and just really random stuff that like was just really for the animators to enjoy um yeah I mean yeah. that it was it was like around 2008 I remember uh or, or 2006 I, I think was when like Italy won the world cup there that was that was like such a huge uh that might have been it that might have yeah. been like <laughs> That might have been why he worked it in. Um, it was like there was this amazing scene where like Lord Ozai, like you know, is holding like the World Cup, and he's like, you know, like "What is going on?" Um, you got to talk to him about it. Um, Very cool. Anywho, uh, yeah. So that was total sidetrack, but uh, so yeah. So I was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, and I was a big uh, Miyazaki fan, mm. and Nickelodeon did this really obnoxious thing where they sort of presented Avatar as like, well, if you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and if you like Spirited Away, get ready for Avatar, you know? And that immediately, like, put me on the, like, what? Who the hell do these guys think they are? Like, how, like, like you're basically like, yeah, I'm Shakespeare, and I've decided to, like, you know, write a sequel to Hamlet. And I was yeah. like, what are you, what, what are they talking about you know and when you first see it you're like you don't just know know what you don't know what to expect and it and it's like how can they possibly pull it off and like i said i was a little jaded about nickelodeon at the time Mm. uh not like the company as a whole but just in the way that you just sort of go through the cycle of like watching cartoons and seeing you know stuff kind of come and go and um i think zim had already been canceled at that point Uh, i think i was probably Mm -hmm. like cynical about that and think you know it just seemed like there was other. They, were, they had produced this whole other show called Making Fiends, which I thought was really funny and cool, and it like never even made it to air. Like it was like they just shelved it. So I was just like, you know, I didn't have high hopes and or great expectations. And then uh, we went to a screening uh, at Paramount has like a little movie theater in their building. Oh, cool! And we got to see it like in a movie theater, which was neat. <laughs> and we watched the first two episodes, and. I was hooked pretty quick, actually. Like, <laughs> I know a lot of people 
you know, say the first episode's a little slow, you know, but I thought the humor was on point and I, and I was really enjoying it. And I think the moment that I remember sticking out as being like, oh, this is going to be something was when Aang and Katara sneak onto the, you know, the deserted Fire Nation ship. Yes. Oh, you know, and then, oh, and when they become, and, and, oh, specifically when Aang becomes prisoner and his hands are tied behind his back and, the like guards are es- escorting him and he escapes, you know, using his airbending, even though his hands are tied behind his back and the way they animated that sequence where he's like running up the walls mm. and like they do like backflip in slow motion and he like breaks the ropes. And then there's that amazing moment where Aang accidentally like opens up the door and, uh, and Iroh's sleeping. Like, and, <laughs> yeah. and Aang is just like, Oh, sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that like extended and and, you know and at that point you just can't deny that these guys are geniuses and that they're you know they're making something really fun and you know and i didn't know how deep it was going to get and i didn't know how profound it would get and all that stuff but i was like well these guys are definitely having a ball making this show and they're definitely doing something really interesting and cool and and then as it goes on you start realizing like oh all this martial arts stuff is actually like really well researched and in depth and you know more layered than you'd expect and um but i didn't you know like i was like okay i'm in it and i still kind of didn't take it like super super seriously as as you know as like a mega fan until uh we i actually skipped episodes which i now like oh how could i have done that but i (laughs) i watched like the, the finale like I had to watch the finale for an article that we were doing um, and that's when I was just like oh my god like this is just such an epic story and I had immediately like went back and watched all the old you know the the, the, the episodes I had missed and then realized like uh, you know oh yeah these guys wrote out an entire story and you know and we're able I'm to sure conclude it too I mean I mean just what you were yeah, saying about no, how I mean, like Nickelodeon I'm, was canceling shows they got to wrap it up in a like three well, yeah, season arc that's you know for Nickelodeon's credit I will say they absolutely let them make the show that they wanted to make and they did all three seasons and even if they had just done that first season I think it would have been a you know that would have been enough in a way right like that would have mm. been like one of the most amazing seasons of television but season two obviously builds off that and and they kept going it would have been um, a firefly situation though if it had just only been that first right. season it's like oh but there's so much more that they could do <laughs> oh yeah no but even then who could have like foreseen you know because like Toph is not in that first season that's and, true and, and you know the stuff in bossing say and and like the that anthology episode with like oh. the death of son like you're just like no one i don't think anybody could have seen like that all that stuff was going to be coming um and certainly you know nickelodeon didn't really know what to do with it (laughs) (laughs) well just going from this initial pitch of if you like spirited away and buffy the vampire slayer it's like well this kind of like took on a whole different life of its own (laughs) like a whole aside from that yeah, and I don't. I mean, I don't know if you guys have talked about this on the on the podcast yet, but I mean, really, like on a technical level, 
level, like one of the big things that's changed since that show is the way we watch TV. I mean, we, mm-hmm. you know, Nickelodeon was really founded in this system of like, you can just watch things whenever and people are just, you know, randomly, you know, like the only way to really catch up on Avatar is if they did a marathon, right? Like they were like, we're going to show like a whole marathon of episodes because if not, it was like they were just showing random episodes piecemeal. Yeah, um, and they or, were almost always like Jet or uh, Bottle of the Water Tribe. Those were the two that they would are, always because wear. Those ones, <laughs> because those ones kind of stood on their own. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, right? They were super cool. Um, but, I mean, the, the, sh- the show, you know, predates the binge culture that we live in now. It predates Netflix um, and the way that we consume media. And granted, you know, I am fully aware that people were watching things on the internet back then. But, <laughs> You know, honestly, like I could not even, you know, tell you how, you know, like I, I know that that was a thing that people did, but like, you know, for the average person, unless you were tech savvy, you know, you're not going to know how to do it. So you're just not going to, you're just not going to be able to consume the show the way it really was meant to be seen. Um, and now like something like Avatar The Last Airbender would thrive in the current way that we watch shows because everything is serialized and everything is meant to be, you know, watched quickly. And so. yeah, but it, it's interesting because, you know, we, we've definitely talked about that. And one of the the big things that, you know, especially is, is not only this, like the, the binge culture and streaming that we find ourselves in now, but also the amount of information that is being communicated directly from the people who are working on the show. So like mm. Brian just released that like uh, post the other day talking about like, hey, this is where we're at with the Netflix series. We're really going to take our time with this. And, you know, we read that and we're like it, 10 years ago, like we or 11 years ago, we were in the middle of that season two to season three hiatus. And we we're like, I have no idea if this show is even going to continue on to a third season. Like we had, we were right. so in the dark about it. And like now we live in a time where right. that can be communicated. Yeah. If you were lucky, you'd go to Comic-Con and, you know, and Mike and Brian could say like a little bit of something at a panel. Right. And that was like had to hold you off for a long time. But yeah, you know, that's a really good point. The way that the creators are, you know, I think they're almost encouraged to to share process and, and, you know, the stages of this stuff in a way that back then, yeah, everybody was so tight-lipped. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's amazing because I mean, the, the community has really just lived on because of, you know, social media as well, because I mean, back when, back in, back in the old days, it was the old forums. Yes. <laughs> I mean, cause the forums were, that was where everyone, you know, talked about avatar, uh, the forum that we were associated with the avatar portal. That was where I met all of our other co-hosts. That was where we just like found this incredible community that was like it, it was international. We we had people from all over the world. And I mean, that that was also the struggle. You talk about getting access to the episodes. It was because of those like early streams or early links on the internet to watch the show that people in Australia or like the Netherlands would be able to watch it because mm-hmm. uh, Nickelodeon wouldn't release episodes for sometimes months at a time or sometimes much later. And, you know, we're in an internet culture where we're all wanting to talk about the episodes, but some people are like, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> like, I don't want to be able to, which is like so mind boggling to wrap our heads around like that, you know, if only a handful of states in the U.S. got to watch, you know, 
the new season of you know orange is the new black or something like that and then it's like well don't don't talk to anyone else about this until we release it in you know texas and alaska in a couple weeks (laughs) it's like it it would never work yeah and it was happening at the i mean that was really like in some ways like avatar was like a test case for Mm -hmm. like what you know this 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 cultural and sort of generational divide that was happening right like Mm. and and this the the age of fandom right like Mm. like i mean i feel like i was educated about all that stuff like while i was there and if it wasn't for working at nickelodeon and and uh you know being connected to the show and sort of having a bridge to it i mean i think my interactions with the fans uh you know, it was very educational for me as someone who works in media, because I think going in, I didn't fully understand it. And I don't think anybody did. And then I think, you know, it showed that, you know, certainly Nickelodeon as a company wasn't prepared for uh, any of this stuff, you know, like they were, they were, they were behind the eight ball or whatever the, you know, analogy is um, <laughs> on how to deal with this stuff, right? Like they made this amazing show but then they just didn't know how to market it they didn't know how to roll it out they didn't realize that fans would you know share you know bootleg episodes they didn't (laughs) you know know that uh you know that people in other countries would want to watch it and you know and that adults were watching it and all that i mean there were so many interesting things i mean somebody's got to make a documentary or something some point about you know everything that you know, was going on at that time and how, you know, for me, it's like the bridge, right? Like between mm. the old days of TV and the current days. And, yeah, it's and, a great point that, you know, the Avatar really was kind of that bridge for that, which, you know, and we'll get into this later, but I think it's also what makes how Cora uh, came out and everything that happened as like the seasons for Cora came out in terms of, the last two, but um, before we kind of dive into that, though, I wanna I wanna get back to just uh, your work uh, working on the Avatar comics, and uh, just I don't know what what can you uh, either the first comic that you worked on or one of your favorites that you got to work on uh, while you were there, and why it was your favorite. Hmm. Well, that's a good question, and I probably should have looked <laughs> at some of the old comics because it has been a while. Um, yeah, I mean. For me, I, I would say, well, we, you know, my memory was like really that I remember that we got to do some comics that connected seasons two and three. Mm. Um, and that was really cool because season two ended on like a big cliffhanger and there was, a, you know, there's a lot sort of to fill in the gaps. And, and I remember there were things like, uh, like in the third episode, I mean, in third season, like premiere, I, if I remember correctly, like. Uh, like Zuko all of a sudden is like dating May. Is that mm-hmm. how you said it? Am yep. I remembering yep. that correctly? And it's just like one of these things where you're just like, well, what happened? Like what? That was like a, just like a bit of a jump. Um, so, you know, getting to fill in like all that kind of stuff was really fun. Um, and working with uh, Aaron E. Haas, who's the, the head writer, you know, figuring out like, you know, like thinking about like, you know, what did people want to see? Like what did, you know, what were things that were missing from the show that, because uh, he would talk about, you know, there's sometimes there's just ideas that, he, that they have that they just don't have room for. Mm. Um, so I think we like we literally called the story the bridge, right? Like because it was <laughs> like oh, the bridge between uh, the seasons of the show. So um, 
you know, so that stuff was like really, really fun. Um, it was great, uh, you know, finding talent, like finding the people who could to write these stories and draw them. Um, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I, I recommended uh, Giri Huru, uh, who are the the illustrators who like they did a couple of comics for the magazine and then they went on to draw like 90% of the comics that Dark Horse did afterwards. Um, and I'm just a huge fan of their artwork, so I thought like you know that was just really exciting that they they that they not only like because they had never even watched Avatar because they didn't show it in Japan. They were Japanese artists uh, who had never seen the show, and I sent them cassette tapes like VHS cassette tapes <laughs> and I was like you gotta watch this show and if you watch it then you can audition to draw comics if Mike and Brian like you and maybe you'll draw like a four page comic it was like so much work for them to potentially draw like four pages of comics and I'm so glad that it actually worked out that they ended up doing like hundreds of pages um, I mean I gotta you know to be as bold to say to speaking on behalf of the fandom but I mean like thank you for doing that because that <laughs> art is incredible in those comics I mean it's they're so good it's unbelievable and they've hired other illustrators since and, and but for me you know they were just they just capture that the energy of the show in such a fun way, but with a slightly, you know, they have a little bit of their own voice to them, to mm-hmm. the art as well. Um, which I find so charming. Well, it, so. it's what I love about the, uh, the library editions of the, of the comics, uh, mm-hmm. because they have all of those like artists and liner notes and the margins and just hearing those, uh, additional details. Um, we did like a deep dive into the promise and just hearing about oh, like good. the inspiration, uh, there's that one, um, wide panel. I think it's in part three when that like large battle is taking place outside of the city. And it's like, they said that they based it off of the like large, uh, like Chinese style, uh, like battle, like tapestries, uh, where you mm-hmm. would have like all of these different dynamics between the different sides, how you convey like, you know, the different factions, the weather that's happening there. And I don't know, it was so cool to see, uh, that inspiration and then the way that it was translated into uh, the comic as well. Yeah. Well, and also credit to, um, you know, to, to, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're just so, they're so good, but <laughs> oh, credit to Gene Yang as well, who wrote, who yeah, writes yes. a lot of the comics. Oh, so good. Um, like, you know, <laughs> he really had a great vision, you know, for the sort of the time after the show, you know, and all like the political stuff that would sort of happen sort of in the fallout of, uh, you know, it's like Aang saves the world, but then it's like people got to put the world back together. And Absolutely, it's, it's it's not as easy as it as it seems. And Gene's really, uh, you know, guy's a genius. Yes, I I just I, and the last thing I'll kind of say on that too is I, I love the way that they you know addressed the very complicated issue of colonization and how mm-hmm. like you know there is this like you know push and pull and how dynamic that relationship is between the people who have been there for a hundred years who have made their like you know they've formed these identities and now you know they're like well no you're you're going back to being earth kingdom and it's like it it was so fascinating to see them dive into that and it was it's such a great medium because i think the comics you know were able to really capture that and had more room to breathe i think than Mm -hmm. sometimes what you're limited in the like the show episodes 
So one one of the things I, I wanted to ask was like, it, did you have any like favorite characters to draw, um, or like particular ones that you really like connected with while you were working on these comics? Um, I mean, I was a Toph fan for sure. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think really you just can't get enough of her, and and once she comes into the fold, you know, comes into the to the gang, it's it's uh, you know it's complete, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I mean, obviously Sokka makes for good comics because he's funny, and and uh, and that was something you know that we that was a little bit of a thing that we had to kind of struggle with because a lot of the comics initially were published in Nickelodeon magazine, and we were primarily a humor magazine, so. Um, when we were commissioning comics, like the the rest of the people I worked with really wanted the focus to be on the humor stuff because that was the audience. You know, we thought then, you know, the audience wouldn't like reject it because we didn't want it. It's like you're reading this humor magazine and suddenly you've got this like really serious story about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bloodbending or something. <laughs> Like, what did I start reading? <laughs> the parents yeah, look at it like, like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. So, so that was always kind of like the, the, the push and pull of like, how do we make this work within, um, and, and not alienating people because like, mm. I mean, you know, like we really, like we were interested in stuff like, like they were like, well, you know, Ang keeps mentioning his friend Kuzan in the Fire Nation, but we never get to see him. Like, let's do a comic where, you know, we get to see Ang hanging out with Kuzan in the Fire Nation and. You know, for us that, you know, like for me and whoever, wrote, yeah, I think it was Allison probably wrote that one. Um, you know, like for us, that's just, you know, we're big fans, right? So like to us, that's interesting. But if you've never even watched the show, it's like, who is this person and why do we care? <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like this character is not even in the TV show and like they're a major character in this comic. That seems strange to me. Um <laughs> But yeah, so Toph, but yeah, Toph was my favorite. She's still my favorite. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jesse Flower just did, I, I mean, such an incredible job of, it, I mean, it was, it really was such a beautiful marriage of the way that uh, Toph was animated, the uh, particular style um, of uh, Hungar um, Kung Fu that they brought for her style of earthbending. And then just, the, I mean, the, the, the writers for her always it just she was she's such a memorable character and so many people connect with her on so many levels yeah I mean everybody loves like a no-nonsense like you know character who just says what's on her mind and uh yeah no fun to write for and uh I mean none of the characters are fun to draw <laughs> 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 I mean I mean let's be real <laughs> uh, the whole thing is a pain in the ass top to bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but in the best way possible, right? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, like everybody loves to talk about how all the animators, you know, took martial arts lessons and stuff, but like, you know, nobody in New York got to do that. <laughs> like, we were, you know, so like, you know, like we're trying to figure it out, you know, with like a step removed and, uh, you know, and that really meant that we couldn't just hire anybody, right? Like we had to hire people that kind of had an understanding of some of this stuff and, uh, you know, and, and the best people either, uh, came from the show, right? Like a lot of the, like a lot of comics were drawn by people who actually worked on the show, mm-hmm. um, or people who ended up working on the show, like Joe and Matt. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I actually, I remember I, um, uh, I got to meet her and interview her at, uh, New York comic con in 2008. And she, uh, had this, uh, she did this little comic that was oh it's, not, uh, oh it's not little 
Oh, it's not low budget. It was it was the one. Uh, do you, it was the one about Zhao coming back. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that, that. Do you realize that that thing is like eight hundred pages? Wait, what? She. Yeah, it started. You probably saw the first mini comic. She published like. I have two manga size volumes, like thick manga size volumes <laughs> of Zhao adventures, like Zhao's adventures in the water tribe. It's just called water tribe. Um, but, uh, and I think she's doing it still. I think she's still drawing pages. That is, am- I mean, is there any way like to, I mean, is that just like kind of a personal project? Like, is she allowed to publish that or share that at all? Cause I mean, that I love that story and that whole concept. I'd love to see like kind of where she's taking it. That's that's so mind blowing that she's continued writing that. That's amazing. <laughs> it's it's it was. I mean, it's it really is awesome. I mean, it was only not awesome when she was supposed to be drawing comics for us, and she's like, <laughs> like and we're like, we're really sorry. Can you can you just like put a hold on the Zhao comic just for a bit and finish these comics that will be actually published by like the magazine and the eventually dark horse. And, um, but it's no, it's a real passion project for her. And, uh, I, you know, she doesn't sell them. She puts it all up online. And, and even though she printed those books, she was just giving them away. She would like walk around at conventions and, and if you, you know, met her up, you know, met up with her or whatever, she'd give you them. I mean, she, yeah. She did like just... a little illustration in the, like the front copy of mine. I still have that. Um, I mean, and she she seemed just so kind and so generous so that that makes so much sense that that's my gosh uh so just uh so our listeners who aren't familiar with this uh basically the premise of the story is that when zhao was taken into the spirit world um by uh kind of the uh the ocean spirit uh in the finale of season one he actually is thrown back into the world uh, from the spirits, but he has no memory of who he was. Um, and he is basically brought into the water tribe and they are forced to reckon with, you know, this man who had committed these atrocities on their culture and their tribe. But now the spirits have kind of given him back to them and how he is, you know, how he integrates into that society again. It, 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 it's just such a great premise. And, as he kind of starts to remember who he was, uh, at least in the volume that I read, it was like kind of, that's where a lot of the tension was starting to rise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he falls in love and it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like this epic redemption story and it's complex. And yeah, I, I would, I mean, I assume that dark horse wants to publish it. I, I, I don't know if they ever will, but well, um, it, it's tough because, you know, how do you like, you know, because they made such a choice in Legend of Korra when uh, they went to kind of the like the spirit wilds and like the, the I can't remember the name exactly, but where all of the mist is and they see Zhao there like walking around uh, and he's like, right, and he's like, right. I am Zhao the Moonslayer. So it was kind of establishing that that was where he ended right. up. Which I thought was a yep. great, like, that That was, I mean, in its own way, like, incredible, but yes. it's like... <laughs> but I do remember watching, I do remember watching that and be like, oh, poor Joanna. <laughs> like, her comics aren't canon. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's so cool. I, I'm definitely going to look into that. And uh, for uh, the folks listening, we'll uh, definitely uh, link to that so you can check that out because uh, it really is such an incredible story.
Hey, thanks so much for listening to The Legend of Portalcast. I just wanted to do this quick plug in the middle uh, for Dave's uh, social media um, because we didn't get to it at the end. And I really want to make sure that if you're interested in learning more about what he does uh, at First Second Books and uh, just uh, some of the stuff that he's working on personally, um, you can find him uh, on Instagram at yaytime. So that's Y-A-Y-T-I-M-E. Um, and that's him on Twitter as well. So be sure to follow him and find out more about the cool stuff that he is working on and uh, just be able to support a fellow Avatar fan and a fellow Avatar creator. Uh, and of course, Legend of Portalcast at Facebook and Instagram, Portalcast Pod on Twitter. Thank you all so much for your support and all of the interactions. Uh, just a quick note one of our recent posts went over 200 likes on Instagram. Is a huge milestone for us. So thank you so much for <laughs> all of that support. It was really cool to get to see that. Um, and we are just so excited because uh, the fans have voted. We are going to be talking about Imbalance um, after our Legend of Korra discussion for the next two weeks. So uh, get ready for that. I am pumped to dive into these recent comics. And uh, thank you all so much for participating in the poll. All right. Thanks, guys. Um, so I, now kind of moving on. So we mentioned a little bit of, uh, you know, Cora in the beginning here. I, I do want to kind of talk to you about what your experience, uh, was like, you know, watching Cora, you know, at that point as a fan and seeing, you know, Mike and Brian have this opportunity to continue the story and be able to expand on this incredibly rich world that they spent so many years developing and, uh, I don't know what what was that like for you to like see that released and what were some of your initial thoughts? Yeah, well, for me at that point, I was just purely a fan. I mean, like I had uh, I stopped working at Nickelodeon in 2011. Uh, when did Cora start? It was uh, like 2012, so it was it must yeah, have been right after yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'd been out already for a couple months and. Uh, you know, and, and I certainly thought that it was over. You know, I didn't really think <laughs> that. Um, I mean, I hope I'm not talking out of school, but I, I, I feel like I have a memory of talking to Brian at Comic-Con and him being like, yeah, I'm done. You know, like like we're done. You know, like this is it. <laughs> uh, you know, so. Which is so know. funny because they said the same thing after Cora. And now here we are with Netflix. Right, <laughs> right. And maybe they did. I mean, you know, I know yeah. how that goes. You oh, know, yeah. like. Maybe, maybe they were, you know, I'm sure after, look, I mean, you know, I have, you know, and again, like, I don't want to feel like I'm gossiping or telling, you know, or name dropping stories, but like, I remember visiting the Nickelodeon uh, studios and it was when they were working on the season three finale. And I was really excited to, to, to meet Mike and Brian and sit down and talk with them a little bit. And I remember Brian just being so burnt out like he was just like so tired and and uh you know like like it looked like you know like visit you know like dudes who had just not slept you know and and they were just working their butt off uh and I remember then seeing him a couple of weeks later at Comic-Con and 
you know, he apologized to me. He was like, Hey man, I'm really sorry if I was like, you know, out of it. And I was like, dude, man, like, don't even worry. Like, you know, <laughs> like, 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 yeah, whatever. Like, I mean, that's really sweet of you to apologize, but like, yeah, it was just, those guys work so hard. So I, I can understand how when they finished it, they probably were like, we can never do this again. You know, or they just want to do something totally, you know, like, I wouldn't have been surprised if they just became monks and like, you know, <laughs> like wandered, <laughs> wandered out and, you know, lived, you know, lived the nomad life. Yeah. Um, well, but it was cool. How great is it for us? That, right. That wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, back to work, dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's cool because, you know, I, I think that, uh, I mean, during that, uh, at least during the interim between Cora and now the Netflix series. I mean, Mike worked on uh, his uh, books, uh, the Rebel, uh, the Rebel Genius series, um, which have been like really cool. And I know that you know Brian was working on something else, but um, yeah, Brian's got graphic novels coming out because from mm-hmm. I, so my day job is uh, working for a publisher called First Second Books, mm-hmm. and uh, and I know from looking at the inner working documents that Brian's got a series, like Brian's got a multi book graphic novel series that he's been working on oh, that's so cool so, <laughs> i mean how he has time to do that i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, excited to read it <laughs> definitely uh so i mean um, yeah so cora yeah, was cora. just awesome cora was uh, i mean i loved cora right from the get um i thought that the choices that they made i thought the character was just so cool and uh i you know i i think perhaps like many fans i missed avatar the last airbender and i probably compared it a little harshly at first you know like as far as like i was like this is really good but it's not avatar you know like (laughs) i was probably probably doing that through most of the first season um well i I mean it's totally so different in terms of pacing too i mean that that's always like the like cora just moves at a breakneck pace which is cool (laughs) but it's like it is so different from avatar in that sense yeah, and I think the thing that, you know, people are like, well, it's more adult. And I'm like, well, I like the kid stuff in Avatar. So that was never really a problem for me. But um, but I think it keeps getting better. And I think that, like, you know, when you watch the second season, uh, that's when it really starts to kind of become its own show. I mean, it's already doing its own thing and it's very different. But I think it became easier to stop comparing it to Avatar by the second season because it starts to feel even more different and the world is expanding in new ways and they get into the spirit stuff in a way that avatar never did. And, um, and by the third season, I was like, I think the third season of Korra is as good as anything in avatar, the last airbender. Completely agree. Completely agree. I thought they, I thought they hit their stride. Um, and in a way it makes season like season four is great, but it, because season three is so amazing that it's like, in a way it feels a little off because you're just like, wow, like this, they, they just went there and it in shocking ways. And that's when I thought, you know, the show felt like mature in like the best way. Absolutely. Um, and definitely in the best villain. Oh my God. Oh, Zaheer so is just so good. I mean, it, it, it's like after all of the time, but you have the, the three seasons of Avatar, you have two seasons of Korra and you always have this vision of the airbenders being, peaceful and good. just right. good and then just turning it around and having like yep. a villain be an airbender was just such a great choice and i mean he's such a complex villain too and you find mm-hmm. yourself yep. like i mean i kind of like understand like where he's coming from and it's like oh but like i still don't want him to succeed and it's that like amazing mm-hmm. love-hate relationship with him 
Yeah, and it's so fun to watch. Yes. <laughs> like oh. all those action sequences. I just remember action scenes where you're just like, you know, you're just clapping while you're watching TV. Like you're just, um, you know, and, you know, that's my other like memory too is like, uh, you know, the emotions you feel. Like that's, mm. you know, I think they do such a good job of their callbacks. And I'm sure you guys have talked about this, you know, are so smart and at times poignant and, mm. uh you know, there are just moments like even in that first episode of Korra, like anytime Katara is on screen, I start crying. Oh, same. Like, it's just, oh, it's like it's so <laughs> like because it's just everything in her eyes and everything that she's been through and the fact that she's alone and and oh. and that she loves Korra like that yeah. to me was so beautiful. Um, and that you know, like comparing it to Star Wars, of course, like. I love that it's not that it's Cor- that it's not Katara's daughter. It's not you know that it's 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 the next generation, but it's not like a direct lineage. It's it's mm. it you know, but Katara still feels motherly towards her. Uh, is so like it's so fun to watch that stuff, um, and I get choked up uh, so much when I watch it. Yeah, I, I and especially you know it's interesting because there are. There's so many different, like, you know, sometimes there's spinoffs or like sequel series to whether it's in comics or TV uh, or movies. And, you know, what I thought Cora did so well was that whenever they did those nods, they weren't ham-fisted nostalgia, like, oh, remember when? And it's like, it's always, like you were saying, so poignant and just so beautifully done that they're not relying on the past, but acknowledging it at the right times well they're really building off it and what and and one of the things that i you know i love that we're talking because i don't have a lot of people to talk about this stuff with (laughs) um i mean that's probably the thing i miss the most right is like having a network of people to watch all this stuff with um but uh the the way in which they made bold choices to make their family complicated. Like the fact that like Aang's family is Mm. not a perfect family and they're so flawed and they have all this like dysfunction sort of between them. I thought was such an, like that's where you're like, these guys like just don't care. Like they just have their own vision, you know, and you know, watching, you know, the idea that like in a way, like they look at Aang and they're not just like, Oh, we love it. You know, Oh, he's the best. Like, like they've got complicated feelings about their dad and in the way that a real family would and, and what it would be like to sort of be in the shadow of this, you know, this legendary figure. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I mean, talking about getting choked up, there's like one scene in particular that always gets me. And it's when, uh, Bumi, Kaya, and Tenzin are at the table and they're all kind of like arguing and Bumi and Kaya are kind of teasing Tenzin and it, it switches to a shot of Katara looking over and she just looks so sad in that moment. And I mean, it's so like, oh God, that hits me so hard every time I think about it. It's, oh, just knowing how, like you were saying, complicated those like family dynamics are. And because there's so much that you know, again, we just don't know that, you know, what happened in that time between. We have glimpses from what flashbacks we did get there. But, there, I mean, there's so much history that wasn't said, but it is said through, like, the way that these characters have developed and the way that they interact in the show, which is, I think, just such a testament to Mike and Brian and the longevity that they really, you know, have for their world that they build and the how 
they really ground their characters in such a way that they are these real figures and they have these real emotions and they've experienced the highs and the lows. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, and, and you bring your own stuff to it, right? Like, you know, like I know you guys have talked about like how, you know, watching it, you know, when you're a kid versus watching it as a parent, watching it as an adult, it changes your perspective on how you feel about these characters and how you relate to them. Yeah. So, so on that note, like, I I don't know. I mean, whether it's been a particular episode or like a particular season or something, has there been a moment where you have revisited either Avatar or Korra and kind of seen it in a new light based on kind of your own life experiences since that time? Yeah, I mean, honestly, not perhaps in a profound way because I was already mostly an adult when Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbender was on. So, uh, you know, I don't have that. I don't, I, you know, I'll never get to know what it felt like to, you know, watch this as a kid, like a real kid. I mean, mm-hmm. I was someone who still loved cartoons. And like I said, I like a you know, I love Aang from the, you know, right from the beginning, like, you know, like I don't, I find him to be one of the most fun characters. Um, but you know, it's just that, I think that the, the depth of the show just gets richer and richer, uh, as you watch it. And I think as you get older, you appreciate the subtleties more, you appreciate the nuance, the, you know, the complicated nature. I mean, I was already starting to feel it, but I feel like you know, Avatar for me and, you know, to a certain extent, like Doctor Who afterwards, like really helped me sort of solidify what was something that was already kind of growing in me, which is I really gravitate to the nonviolent hero. Like mm. I really love the idea, the creative challenge of, you know, how do you create a dynamic action series with a character who chooses, you know, not to fight and who or who prefers not to fight and will only fight if, you know, really forced into the situation. Um, and the fact that, you know, they spent so much time of the, you know, at the end of the third season, really having Aang push back about this idea of having to kill the Fire Lord, I thought was so beautiful. And I think as I get older, I really appreciate that stuff, you know, even more that, you know, because there's just so much, you know, tell, and now like I, so I have a nephew now that was, you know, that's probably the closest to like a big life difference. Um, and he hasn't watched the show yet, but I see a lot of the stuff he watches and I see all the violence he watches and, you know, and it makes me uncomfortable at times. So Mm. I, you know, I really respect that, you know, the, the avatar practices what it preaches in you know in all the philosophy and all the the mysticism and all the you know everything that they're bringing to the table um it just you know it's really good for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's why it's it really has resonated with so many people across so many cultures and across so many age ranges too um and you know especially that point of you know that that challenge. And I think that that is honestly what had made Avatar such a unique show because Mike and Brian, you know, making the choice of having a protagonist who, you know, practices nonviolence, but then also working within the confines of what you can show on network TV 
with Nickelodeon in terms of like deaths or any remote, like any kinds of violence or anything. But in a way, like it worked out so well for them because I think some of the greatest creativity comes from those boundaries. Absolutely. No, totally. That's what I meant to to say when I was watching. That was my initial reaction. When I watched the first two episodes, I, I saw it more from the, the creative stroke of genius of like how they created an action series for a kid's network where you couldn't actually show violence. And I remembered all the years watching when I was a kid, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were really, you know, popping. It was like, you know, the, you know, it was like the biggest thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and as a kid, you're like, they're ninjas. That's so cool. And they got these weapons. It's so awesome. But on the TV show, they could never actually use those weapons. It yeah. was like they would basically like have a katana blade that was only there to like throw into you know a chandelier and make the chandelier like fall <laughs> on the bad guys, right? Um, so from a from like a from a mechanical perspective, the idea of bending is just the most brilliant master stroke mm. because you're basically you know, having people do martial arts, but they're never actually hitting each other. They're Mm. never like touching, you know, there's never person on person contact. It's all, you know, the connecting through the elements and that allows, you know, for the imagination. So you can have kids impersonating the show. You can have kids watch the show and, you know, act out what they're seeing, but not actually hitting each other. And, you know, that's, I mean, if if only that like that is a master stroke as far as like kids television is concerned mm. um and and watching the bending you know from that lens was just like wow that's like really smart that these guys came up with this idea and then, and and then it's executed so well and you know so so that was that was my initial just like you know perhaps cynical uh view you know just from like wow good job dudes like producing this this thing um and then it obviously becomes a great story and all the characters and all the other stuff that is the reason why we fall in love with it. And then you don't even think about that stuff, right? Like you're <laughs> not really thinking about uh, the fact that, you know, perhaps it was a creative limitation that's, that inspired <laughs> it all. Yeah. I mean, that that was definitely something as I, you know, went to school for, uh, you know, screenwriting and for film production like that, that always was, you know, one of the, the things that they like tried to uh, you know, do, do with us was like, okay, you're going to have to deal with limitations. You're going to have to deal with people who are going to tell you, you know, you need to do this certain thing. You need to be able to make a three minute film that is exactly three minutes that has only this amount of characters. It's like, but you've got to make it work. And I, you know, that was when that really clicked for me when I was like, oh my gosh, they, they had to work so hard to, you know, make this something that could live on Nickelodeon, but still be compelling and still have that incredible action. And like you said, I mean, it, it really is a masterstroke for, for kids TV, but of course, so many people besides kids just love it because it can, you can still enjoy it despite the fact that, you know, it might be only garnered for kids. Yeah. And it's, you know, be their master storytellers and, 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 that's you know I actually rewatched the first two episodes recently um, after you reached out to me and I watched you know with some I was doing the thing that you know you guys do where you like watch it with someone who's never seen it before to oh, sort of get their perspective. It's the best. You're you know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're you know you're reexamining it like and you're like oh you know and it's and it's hard because you're like the whole time you're like oh just wait like you know like. You know, <laughs> 
it's like, it's like, oh, you don't know. You don't know. You don't even know. Um, but again, that fir- like from that first two part, the, the, the first, I consider the first two episodes one episode, but, um, you know, from that, from that first two parter, like the filmmaking choices and, you know, that there's such like an, a cinematic approach to the storytelling and the action sequence and, you know, the way they show bending and the way that, you know, uh, like even the comedic moments are done in a, like an exaggerated way. Um, you know, there really wasn't anything like that on TV. And, and, and I think that, you know, right from the first episodes, you realize like these guys are great filmmakers that they were able to do this with the budget that they had. And this all, you know, no one knew what the heck this thing was going to be. Um, so, you know, obviously by the time they made Cora, you know, they're like, even better, yeah. <laughs> even, you know, they, they're able to push it even, they're able to push it even further. But that said, like you go back and watch Avatar and you're like, it's amazing that they hit the ground running. Like, mm. yep. Like, you know, <laughs> like they weren't really cutting any corners in that first episode. Like they're doing a lot of amazing things right out the gate. Absolutely. So uh, to, to kind of like start to wrap things up, I, I want to get, uh, you know, some of your thoughts on, you know, now we get to talk about kind of like, you know, a future. Um, but before we talk about like the Netflix series, you know, a huge part of the Avatar world that we have been able to experience as fans and have been fortunate enough has been like the comics that have come out since. Um, not only do we have the incredible, uh, like the five different stories um, from uh, Jean and Guruhiru uh, with uh, all the way from The Promise to The Search, The Rift, Smoke and Shadow, and North and South, but now we're moving on and we have Imbalance. And then we have the Korra comics with Turf Wars and now Ruins of an Empire. So I don't know, what has that been like for you to kind of see these stories continued um, especially with your own experience working uh, on the Avatar comics um, and Nickelodeon. I mean, I just think it's great. I think it's. I I think it goes back to what I felt when when I worked with Aaron about Aaron Ehas about you know making stories that connect to the show and 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 give the fans more to chew on. Um, you know, I have no connection with these comics except I've read a lot of them. <laughs> um, and you know, to me. There's always like I grew up reading comics. I grew up loving comics and I've always loved, you know, so I have a little bit of a bias and an affinity for comic <laughs> books. And, you know, and I remember being a kid who, you know, would talk to other kids who maybe perhaps only read the movie, you know, only watched the movies of something. Right. And like, mm. you know, and then, you know, being like, oh, well, I read the comic and in the comic, you know, <laughs> like you think it's cool in in the movie, but man, in the comics, like forget about it. Uh, so I love that, you know, if you're an Avatar fan and you just watch the shows, great. There you go. You've, you've got it. But for those who are out there reading the comics, like they're getting an even richer experience They're, you know, like, you know, I still hear people say, you know, what happened to Zuko's mom? And I'm like, you didn't, re- you, you clearly didn't read the comics. <laughs> well, it's such an exciting moment because then you get to tell them like, well, they did answer that. And then that the expression on their face of like, wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm happy, you know, like I'm happy that comics get to be, you know, I'm, so my, you know, my job now is working in publishing and, and, and I make children's books and I write my own books and, and, and when, you know, 
perhaps uh, you know I'm not allowed to say this, but when I so when the magazine ended, I remember someone of someone important saying <laughs> you know publishing was on its way out you know and and that print specifically is dead and the kids are on iPads and this and that and the internet is the future and. Uh, so the fact that there are avatar books and that you actually have to read them and it rewards you for reading them, I think is great, especially for kids, you know, to get a kid excited about reading because they want to, you know, if they love this show and they want more, it's like, yeah, read a book, kid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, you know, I'm team books. So (laughs) I hear you on that (laughs) (laughs) and they've done an amazing job on them. So, oh, the, the, the quality of those books are just so fantastic. I, every time that we bring them up, I am always like, just like, please everyone go buy these books because they're so good. (laughs) They just did such a great job with the publishing and like the quality of them. And like I said, those liner notes, uh, in the margins are just such a great, it's like having the director's commentary for like the comic. It's so great. Um, so uh, to kind of close things out, um, obviously now we have the Netflix series that's going to be coming. What are some of your hopes and expectations, uh, with this on the horizon? I'm fascinated by it. I don't know. You know, I haven't, uh, heard you guys talk about it yet, but I want to, because I, I, I think the, I think what Netflix is doing is so exciting. Um, and the fact I would be way more nervous if not for the fact that this series of unfortunate events uh, mm. series oh. turned out really well. It was so good. <laughs> I was at I was at Nickelodeon when they did the series of unfortunate events movie, and it's a similar kind of thing where you know I was a big fan of those books, and I actually well the movie the series of unfortunate events movie is actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, I mean compared to compared to what happened to Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 did pretty good. They got away, they 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 came out pretty well. Uh, <laughs> there's at least some really good things in that movie that are worth that I think are worth watching. Or uh, the soundtrack is actually one of my favorite soundtracks of any movie. Anywho, uh, you know, but for fans of those books, it was like, wow, they only made one movie. It didn't really do well. You know, it seems like this franchise is over. So for Netflix to come in and be like, you know what, let's try again, and they went back to the source material and they did it even more faithful than the movie did. They said, let's make the, let's make this show feel even more like the books than we did with the TV, with the, with the theatrical film. So, you know, the fact that Netflix has that approach and, and clearly if Mike and Brian are in charge of the whole thing, like there's no way it's not going to be, if nothing else, uh, faithful to the series or, you know, faithful to our vision, you know, of what we love about the series. Um, so I have high hopes for it now. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what Mike and Brian as live action directors looks like. Um, mm. I, I hope it's awesome. I hope they have the budget to, to, to do it really great. Um, you know, that would be fantastic. And if it brings in all the people that uh, you know, if it brings in more people to check out the cartoon series, all the better. Yeah. I mean, cause that's for me, it's like, I'm always like driving back, you know, to that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Right. Like I'm, I'm, I, when I was watching the, 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 the first two episodes of the cartoon, I mean, I was trying to think about like how close they'll stay and, and you know, how it'll be paced and if they'll, you know, create new moments and, and, you know, add new stuff along the way. I think that could be really fun and exciting. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think How do you that, feel? <laughs> uh, I know. I mean, like that, that's so much of uh, so we, we did a, an episode last week uh, just kind of talking about the, the news that Brian shared. And so much of what we were talking about was, you know, we're, we're just even though it seems to be that they're going to be you know releasing it later. It's like, good, like, you know, take all the time that you need on this, because and, and what was really uh, great about what Brian shared um, on Instagram was that, you know, he really kind of said like the, the scope of this is massive. And, you know, part of what he was saying was that, you know, it's cool because we feel like we're getting in the same swing of things. We remember this like kind of rush of like having to do so much at once, but that feels familiar. But then there's all these new things as well. And I think what's really interesting is that, you know, whereas with Avatar, they started development like in the early, early 2000s with coming up with the idea. They traveled, they were researching all the different cultures, the martial arts to come up with the story and form it into what we know as the show. What's really cool is that the show is there. The story is there. Now they really get to say, OK, how are we going to tell this in a live action way that is going to be compelling, that can expand on this world that we have and really be a faithful adaptation of it. But, you know, I, I, I feel for them because it's a huge undertaking and the pressure is so high because, of course, because of the movie. And, you know, they're, it, it's so beloved. The series is just like has such a deep place in so many people's hearts and how so many of us felt so burned after the movie. That's a very hard feeling to go you know, after that. And I, I think one of my favorite ways that it was conveyed, uh, there was a great meme when they announced the series and it was like this, it's like an old, uh, like medieval style comic. And they're, they're like, who's at the gates? And it's like, oh, Avatar is, uh, Netflix is doing an Avatar series. It's like, close the gates. It's like, oh, well, Mike and Brian are, uh, are doing it. Okay, open the gates a little. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I saw that, you know, and, and, and I get that. I totally mm. get that. But I like, you know, I, I hate to be such a fanboy, uh, but I, I honestly have like all the faith in them. Like, I really yeah. think that if nothing else, it's going to be really cool. Like, mm. I mean, I don't think it can replace, you know, the original. Yeah. And that's why in some ways I kind of hope they bring some new stuff to it to just to kind of change it up a little bit. But I'm, I think that they as filmmakers are going to be like really interesting to watch. So mm. I'm excited. It's just whether or not they can do what they want to do. Like I think if they're, it's sort of like the opposite of George Lucas, right? Like I feel like the whole <laughs> thing with George Lucas and the prequels was that like he had complete freedom and endless budget and there was nothing reining him in. Right. So maybe like, you know, the limitations of television will be that for them. Mm. But other than that, I hope that they have all the resources to make it the way they want to make it. Um, and I think it'll be really cool. I'm deadly curious whether or not Zuka will have his top knot in the beginning or they're going to skip right to him just having cool hair. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, like the, the, the choices of I mean, the legacy of Zuko's hair over the course of I mean, his hair, his outfits. I mean, it, it's always and he's he is such a beloved character of the fans too in terms of like you know the the, the different iterations of Zuko that if you don't if you don't love Zuko at his uh season 1 top knot moment you don't deserve him at his free flowing right. you know season 3 hair 
Exactly. Uh, you gotta have that hair. You have to have that hair arc, man. That's yes. <laughs> so good. Oh, oh man. Well, Dave, th- this has seriously been such a trip, and I have just immensely enjoyed getting to talk with you, uh, hear about all of this new interesting stuff about your journey with the show and just uh getting your insights and opinions um on all of this Uh, thank you so much for taking time to do this this has been so great yeah thanks for the excuse to go down memory lane (laughs) um so i i just want to kind of uh, be able to give you a chance to uh talk about some of the stuff that you are working on right now and how folks can uh find you and some of the uh, books that you've got coming down the pike. I know you've got some really sure. like incredible stuff coming out of First Second. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, my day job at First Second uh, is at First Second Books, editing a series called Science Comics, uh, which is a nonfiction uh, graphic novel series intended to get kids excited about all the various fun STEM topics that are out there. Um, working with lots of different artists on that. And then my personal projects, uh, I am working on a series called Astronaut Academy. I've done yes. uh, two two <laughs> volumes. I've done two volumes, and I'm currently working on the third volume, which, depending on when this episode airs, may be something that I wasn't supposed to talk about publicly just yet, <laughs> but uh, eh, whatever. Um, Avatar fans deserve to hear about it first. Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm... <laughs> Uh, that's the, you know, the thing I'm personally most excited about is to, to go back to Avatar the Last, uh, to go back to my series Astronaut Academy, which, uh, I think Zuko makes an appearance in one of the books. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, so these books are filled with lots of Easter eggs and, uh, and certainly, uh, my love of Avatar works its way in there, of course. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, well, you guys, uh, heard it from Dave. Uh, just be sure to, to, uh, check out those books coming out. Um, I remember, uh, I'm very excited to hear about that with Astronaut Academy too, because I absolutely loved reading those. Um, so be sure to check those out. Uh, check out first second publishing. Um, and uh again thank you so much dave this has been so much fun and uh if uh, if you're not object to it we'd love to have you back again at some point oh yeah anytime man i'm, I'm like i said i love <laughs> i love talking about this stuff i do it really is uh i think you know there's something really special about revisiting a show you really loved from a new perspective i thought that was a really smart uh idea you guys had so i'm uh Congrats on the relaunch and uh, bringing it back. Thanks. All right. Uh, so, folks, remember you can uh, find us uh, on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Legend of Portalcast and at Twitter at Portalcast Pod. And, of course, visit our website at legendofportalcast.com. Um, so we'll be sure to uh, include some links uh, to uh, Dave's work uh, for you guys to check out, um, see some of his previous works, and then also some of the stuff that's coming down the pike. Um, So make sure to tune in there and uh, also share your thoughts. Um, But for now, and until next time, let us leave.